guys, welcome back to We Dive Deeper. I hope you've had a wonderful couple of weeks. I hope you're as happy as you can be. And if you're not, try not to worry because everything's temporary, even our lives. Is that a bit too deep? Potentially, but that's what we do on the We Dive Deeper podcast. Look at me, I sound like a radio host and I'm not. Okay, so today my guest is the most special guest, my own flesh and blood, my father, my dad. I cannot believe he's agreed to come on here and do this with me. But alas, here we are. So just to give you guys some context, my dad has never been one for strong expressions of emotion. I think that's fair to say. I don't think he'd mind me saying that. Uh, He's always found expressing his feelings quite difficult, like many men, I assume. And that at times has been quite difficult for us as a family. And like any family, we've had our ups and our downs and some really big downs, including recently my beautiful mum passing away last August very suddenly. So there's a hell of a lot there to unpack. But I just thought it'd be important to give you some of the backstory about dad just so you can appreciate how amazing it is that I get to talk to him like this today. On the lighter side though, he is the most interesting and insightful person and everyone that knows him adores him, including me. And yes, maybe I'm a little biased, but I think once you get to the end of the podcast, you'll feel the same way. He's just amazing to listen to. He had a career in medicine as a GP for quite a few years. In fact, like most of my childhood and adult life but over a long period of time he realized that western medicine he couldn't really stand by it anymore so he decided to be a holistic doctor full-time which I think is amazing if you live in Plymouth and want help in any way he's your guy he is so insightful and can teach you so much And I should probably stop rambling on about him and just let him do the talking. But I really hope you enjoy this one. I love my dad. I hope you guys love his wisdom as much as I do. And don't forget to like and comment and rate and review and share this podcast if you like it. It means the world to me. And I just love doing it. And I'm so grateful to you guys for listening. So without further ado, here is my dad. So hello, Dad. Hello, Kate. Welcome to the We Dive Deeper podcast. How do you feel? Yeah, good. Yeah? yeah? On a scale of one to ten, nerves? Uh, yeah, about two. Two? Mm. You don't feel much, do you? No. <laughs> I always remember saying to my friends growing up, you could crash Dad's car and kill his cat and he'd be fine with you. Because you just had such a... You were just fine about everything. Yeah. Is that are, still true? It is, but like anybody, you know, if you have a very specific trigger, yeah, you can go to 10 out of 10 very easy. And killing cats is not your trigger. Yeah. You're not yeah, a cat kill fan. Kill the cat. Kill the cat. Yeah, yeah well, well, that's a good start. Okay, so I have 70 questions, each one as deep and as probing as the last yeah sorry for offending any uh, cat lovers <laughs> you will have offended quite a few mm. okay so just pick a number between one and 70 uh 70 you would go with 70 okay this is good for you yeah. when do you feel you're most vulnerable uh that's a tricky all the time all the time yeah explain um that's probably answering the question uh, in a thinky way rather than a feely way, because, uh, of course, 
you are vulnerable all the time. That makes sense. And that's good. Um, it's fine. Uh, I'm cool with that. Um, feeling vulnerable. Uh, I'm not sure I ever feel vulnerable, but I know I am vulnerable. Does that make sense? <laughs> and it's... actually being fully aware of just how vulnerable you are, i.e. you could die right now. Yeah. That helps you not feel it, I think. Because there must have been times before you became a conscious being and more aware like you are now and aware of your emotions and feelings that in certain situations were more terrifying than others. Yeah. Socially, maybe? I guess you've got to uh, define your terms because vulnerable is not the same as terrifying. You know, it's very Very different. Very true. So um, when do I feel terrified? I guess if... uh, I don't often, but um, because I don't expose myself to that. But the next thing would be probably bungee jumping. That would terrify me. <laughs> uh, but people don't terrify me anymore. Public speaking don't terrify me anymore. Um, there aren't any such social situations like that that terrify me. And Because um, I would have thought that something like this might make you feel very vulnerable, but you, you're just taking it in your stride. Um, yeah, I, as I was saying to you earlier, trust the process. Mm. Um, I kind of think it, it, it's fine. I'm talking to you. What's the problem? There yeah. is no problem talking exactly. to me. Exactly. So, uh, what could you know? You're not going to start kind of shooting me. <laughs> um, well, I don't know. Yeah, it would provide some entertainment. But actually, you get to the stage. Clearly, um, I would uh, be very unhappy, but. If you're going to shoot me this afternoon, that's that's okay, really. Ah, uh, you're um, a fascinating man. Yeah, well, that's uh, that's faintly Buddhist. I'm not a Buddhist, but that's the Buddhist thing is uh, is becoming okay with with whatever happens. Yeah, right? I think if I yeah. was to kind of move more towards a religion, it would probably be Buddhism. Yeah, definitely. It seems more at the centre of what we're learning about. But even Buddhism, I don't know a lot about it, but there are aspects of the religion where there's been some dodgy things going on in the name of Buddhism. So I think you can have the philosophy and the psychology of Buddhism without having that. You can even have the philosophy and psychology of Christianity without having the religion. Do you know yeah. yeah, most yeah. people don't follow that, do they? No. Okay, so vulnerability then. What about... Like childhood trauma, mm. what was the kind of the hardest thing that you remember growing up? What was the thing that hit you the most first? Um, uh, childhood, I had an idyllic childhood, really. Yeah. Um, yeah, living in a country with uh, nice parents. Um, uh, I enjoyed school, I had good friends. I played sport and stuff. I was a, bit, a sickly little child, I think. Yeah, I heard about this, which is yeah. weird considering now you're a doctor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Why do you think that was? I think it was a mixture of things, looking back, and this wasn't clearly uh, apparent at the time. Um, you know, I did have sort of asthma. Uh, what that was to do with, I don't know. <laughs> um, but also, 
uh, and my siblings would back me up in this. If you were off sick from school, in primary school particularly, uh, you got treated like a king, or at least I did anyway. <laughs> Sorry, you guys, if you didn't. Um, and so there was every incentive to be sick. Yeah. So I'm sure 90% of the times I was sick, I weren't sick. Yeah, because you're not really a sickly man now, that's for sure. No, but, uh, you know, being as there were six children... Uh, and this is definitely hindsight speculation. I don't remember who it is, but if you want one on one time with your mum, be sick. Wow. Yeah. Because what your like relationship with your parents, I guess, not even just your mum, it wasn't the most tactile. Would not you at say? all. Yeah. How how do you think that has like affected your life? Uh, well, it made me not tactile. Um, Affirmative. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, just a bit distant like my dad was, really. He was yeah. a great, beautiful uh, human being, uh, but um, at a distance. Yeah. yeah. Do you remember that like affecting you, though, even consciously, being like, oh, I wish my mum mm. was more like this, or it's just the norm? No, I don't, I don't remember that at all. No. I mean, uh, like most people, all my life I thought I was normal. Mm. And, of course... This will be a recurring theme, probably, if you're any good at this, um, is uh, we're always looking for, is it that or is it that? And it's nearly always that and it's that. Because, of course, I was completely normal. And on the other hand, I was completely not normal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Did that, like, ever affect your future relationships? Because mum was obviously a very tactile person, the complete opposite of you. So yeah. how did that work? Was she just, she did all the kind of tactility? Is yeah, that she did a lot of, uh, she did most of that relationship, really. And she was just fine with that at the beginning, that was just the way it yeah, was. Yeah, definitely, and uh, remembering what it was like at that time, you know, we had the first child pretty quick. Um, yeah, how long into the marriage was it? Um, well, we were married one September... And Nick was born in July. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's uh, quick. So she's pregnant fairly quickly. And uh, then it was just children all the time. And also I was working lots. Yeah. And also I was in the services. I was quite away quite a bit. And then, you know, we both used to drink too much. Yeah. So actually, uh, yeah, time for connection was pretty small, really. Which, looking back in hindsight, suited me fine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. But, it, but it doesn't work to keep a relationship going, obviously. When, what do you think the moment, I guess it wasn't a moment, like it was a string of moments, but can you remember there being a time where you just thought, this this isn't, this suddenly isn't working? I never thought that. Really? No. It was all, an all kind of unconscious yeah, thing. Yeah, totally. I never, in fact, like most people, I never thought, full stop. Yeah. That's a sentence I never thought. Yeah. Of anything. Wow. You just kind of get up, do what you always do, and, uh, you know, go to bed again. So do you remember your first conscious thought then? <laughs> no. Um, no, I don't. Uh, a lot of people have um, particular occasions when they remember that happening. Like an awakening. You know, I can remember one chap I know describes an experience in Devonport Park, for instance, 
um, just seeing things as they really are. Uh, but for me, it was much more a process where I could one day sort of look back and think, oh, yeah, I've, over the last year or two, things have changed, you know? Yeah, because obviously from my point of view, the, the dad that I knew growing up, growing up, growing up, and the mm. one now, they're completely different people. Obviously not. There was a time sure. period in the middle that I didn't realise that you were kind of yeah. growing and evolving. But yeah. I guess um, that period's ongoing. But do you remember a time where it, a time where it kind of began? Was it after you and Mum had broken up? Was it in the middle of that period? No, I think it was after that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And it was definitely, uh, yeah, it was a solo effort. Obviously, as it happened by coincidence. Uh, your mum was doing the same thing at the same time. Yeah, which always fascinates me now. But it was definitely a journey was probably precipitated by the breakup. Yeah. Whereas mine wasn't. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think mine was precipitated by going into more holistic uh, work and uh, just mixing with a different bunch of people. Yeah, I guess I just want to, I want to try and find out more about that period where you started waking up, started thinking about what you had done, like decision-wise. Because, <clears throat> yeah, it just feels like in my head you went from this dad and all this stuff happened to this awakened man who's very chilled. And, mm -hmm. and I can't remember seeing the evolving. I guess you did it very privately. Um yeah, it's, I don't think you can pin it down. Um, it's a process. It's an ongoing process. And um, it's, it took place over a number of years and it's, it's still taking place, really. I've probably become more chilled with every year that passes. Yeah, I can mm. confirm that. But, yeah, I'm still... have. Uh, potential to get triggered as Claire will tell you yeah she probably sees it more than most um she'd be smiling when she uh listens to that <laughs> yeah because I know you're you don't really look back much do you like it's no. not something that you do now but no. how like how do you deal with all the past stuff and all the like emotions that you have without looking back well that's that is an easy question is it yeah you just feel them. That is my day job, really, because, uh, yeah, when you get triggered uh, by something, a person or an event, a situation, um, then the past immediately is there right. in your body. Uh, so you don't have to go looking for it. You do just have to feel it and acknowledge it. Um, that's it for me. Do you uh, not? Do you not think, I know we've spoken briefly about this before, but that things that you've made, like, so for example, I have stuff that, like, I may regret or feel crappy about, mm. and just feeling those is good, but I also want to rectify those things and go back and, although you can't go back in time, go to those people and mm. say, I, I look, yeah. I know X, Y, and Z, and yeah. now I'm aware of it, and I'm sorry. Do you think, like, that's an Yeah, I think sometimes thing? that's, uh, that's a good thing. Definitely it's a good thing, but for me... Again, it's partly my personality. If I just think uh, from the moment I wake up, if I live a good life today, that's all right. But do you not 
think, and, and I know probably what you're going to say to this, but do you not think you have some sort of responsibility to, because other people are still maybe harboring things that include you in their emotions. Do you not think you have responsibility to try and help them on their journey by saying sorry? Or? Yes, tricky because in a way now I don't think so yeah um I appreciate because, your honesty <laughs> yeah because I think it's that's their journey yeah um so it depends I think if you're uh, really genuinely from the inside motivated to do that and you should do that and the reasons for not doing it is either because you're really not um um sort of got an internal wise voice saying to do it uh, or because you're afraid of doing it if you're afraid of doing it then clearly I think you should get on yeah. and do it yeah um, but um, it all fits in and say if I was on the receiving end um, and that person over there say if it was my dad for instance had kind of let me down in some way then okay that's if he's decided, as I've decided, he's going to get in his life, and actually he is living a great life, I see that, then any feeling that I've got, it belongs to me. Yeah. Uh, so that's not to say that he shouldn't do that, but if he does that, then it's for, for him. It's not really for me. Yeah. Because my journey is my journey. Yeah. Um, so that's it's, it's, it is a kind of subtle point and I'm definitely not going to claim that this is the right answer yeah. for everybody it's yeah. my answer you know so uh, it's it's um, complex so I think apologizing is a great thing um, but you do that more for you if you need to rather right. than for the other person I think yeah 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 hmm. and so how going back to childhood and you said you had a pretty idyllic childhood. Yeah. I guess, I mean, Stefan, your brother's death, yeah. that was part more of your adult life yeah. than you'd Yeah, I was 22. Okay. <clears throat> well, and that would, would you say that was the first kind of big traumatic thing to have happened to you? Um, yeah, this, you know, through childhood, you have loads of... Uh, what we call in the trade, uh, small T traumas. Right. Uh, as we were speaking earlier on, we were out earlier. Yeah. Um, just little things, like uh, little my grandson and uh, your nephew, Caleb, will experience lots of little traumas today. Yeah. And actually, they are minor, but they do affect you. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes more so than somebody dying. Right. You know, so at that time in my life, um, Steph's dying was not huge for me, as really? you would imagine. If you think, you know, the only perhaps experience that you've had big time has been your mum. Yeah. And it would have been nothing like that. And also, I was not, uh, you know, I wasn't, it was clearly much bigger for my mum losing yeah. one of her children. And I don't think I appreciated that really? at the time. Yeah, I was kind of wound up on my own stuff. And were you and Steph close? Yeah, we shared a bedroom for many years. Uh, so from that point of view, we were. But once I'd left home, you know, I went to Cardiff to university. And three years later, he went to Swansea, which is where he was. When, yeah. Um, and we didn't see each other a lot. Right. He did come up and visit. Uh, but... 
No. Did that, that grief ever hit you then, or was it just something that just didn't really affect you? I don't think it did affect me that much. No. Wow. What? Well, how yeah. does that make you feel? Because that's a, that's kind of a strange thing to say, isn't it? Um, I don't think it is necessarily. Really? It's just uh, there are these different personality types and uh, um, attachment um, types, and some don't grieve massively. I've never been one to grieve much. Yeah. Uh, you know, briefly. But then it's done. So that's true for my dad or for my mum. Yeah. Generally. What age were you when your dad died? Because uh, oh, I, I had only just been born, right? Yeah, like so I was early it. 30s then. Yeah, that, that, I mean, I guess, yeah, I mean, if you don't grieve that much. I guess, yeah, yeah. I never really thought that there could be a personality type. I thought grief was just a universal... No, there are, like anything else, there are these uh, extreme ends. Some people don't grieve at all. And I'm not quite at that end. Uh, and I used to have one chap used to come and see me who could tell me, you know, it was three years and 27 days since his mum died. You know? Right. That's the other extreme. Yeah. Uh, and there are people, and it's lovely when you get a couple who are so, so attached to each other. They go everywhere together. They do everything together. That They are their life. Um, and if that's the same for 40, 50 years, the downside is if one goes first, the other one is often really stuffed. And that's not a bad thing. It's just that's that's that yeah. way of being. That's a personality. So like all the other stuff, I didn't choose to be like that. I just didn't think, right, I'm not going to feel this. It's it's a programmed in your brain thing. Yeah. You know? you don't and I guess because you're maybe you've learned more and you're more of a conscious person now how did like mum's death affect you differently to how Steph's did um, obviously there's a hell of a lot more there yeah too, it's but... a different relationship yeah. for one thing um but yeah I did definitely feel it more did you yeah um, in, in what way uh well if you can imagine what the you know what grief feels like, I think. I think so. Um, so I'm sure it was less than that, but that's the resonance you're talking about. That's the vibration you're talking about. It's that kind of thing. Grief. Yeah. I think grief is grief, you know, so, so some people maybe don't feel it that yeah. much. But if you do feel it, yeah, it's, it's a sadness, a loss. But, um, some of these things are indescribable because mm. they're a feeling. Do you, does does mum's death still affect you now? Or have you kind of dealt with it? Um, mostly I don't think it does, but then that's because, you know, as we spoke just now, I'm, I'm not a big griever, really. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I guess that was... It was important for us as children to see you grieve, but you're a private person. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I used to do it in the clinic first thing in the morning really? when I got into work. Well, you kind of give yourself time to do yeah. it? Yeah, definitely. Kind of, yeah, because I, I said, I've said before that I feel like grief is kind of like exercise and you don't really mm. want to sit there and do it, but yeah. you know it's better for you in the long run if you get it out yeah. and just get it done. <laughs> yeah, so for you, obviously, the first few weeks, months maybe, it's every minute of every day. And after that, it can just come upon you. Yeah. But to a certain extent, you can decide when you're going to do it. Yeah. And program it in. And I think that's a very effective thing to do. And that's what you did? Yeah. Yeah. 
How mm. long did that process take for you? Uh, not massively long, probably no. matter of uh, maybe a few weeks. Right. Yeah. Grief is such a weird word. And that's not a measure because uh, this is attachment, uh, which is a, a, a psychological kind of um, phenomenon. Yeah. So there's uh, a strange situation. Have you heard of that? No. Uh, now, I'm not an expert on this uh, stuff, but uh, a strange situation is a, a, um, a research tool and it's also a, a reproducible uh, phenomenon. So in the first place, it was studying attachment in, in children. And the, so the scenario is you have a little room like this. Yeah. Um, and a researcher who's always female, I think, um, and it's nice, and it's nice throughout. There's some toys to play with, and then there's a mother and child come in. And I can't remember the age of the child, but it's t- two or three or something. <coughs> and um, the scenario is that the, the mum and the researcher will chat for a while while the child plays. Um, uh, it's videoed, and the child also has a little heart monitor on. And then the mum will leave the room for five minutes, uh, and then the mum will come back. So what happens when mum leaves the room? What happens when mum comes back? So this, with the secure, securely attached child, um, the child's a bit distressed when mum goes, but is fairly quickly uh, you know, engaged with playing with the toys and then happy. Mum comes back, rushes to see her, and uh, maybe clings on for a minute, but then quickly gets back to playing with the toys. So that's secure attachment. And uh, the two extremes of insecure attachment there are others um one is child just goes nuts uh, and cries from the moment mum leaves the room till the moment she comes back and then goes and clings and basically very reluctant to let go and the other of course is the opposite extreme child sort of doesn't do anything when uh, mum goes but the little monitor's uh, showing something okay and then when mum comes back again child doesn't rush uh but you know, so this child has learned uh, to bottle its emotions. You know. Yeah. And uh, so is that, that what you you were so that would have been me the other day the avoidant attachment yeah. style is that yeah. what you meant? Yeah. And there are three three different styles. Yeah, I think there are more. There's a kind of uh, there are some more extreme sort of um, mental health issue sort of uh, insecure attachments, which are kind of uh, where where a parent has been very. Um, Volatile, so sometimes there, sometimes not. Uh, then you can get sort of uh, mixtures right. of uh, uncertain attachment. Yeah. Uh, so, so some people will be just okay, uh, fine. Some people will, in relationship, will tend to be clingy, and some people will tend to be avoidant. You know? Yeah, I'm probably the clingy one. Yeah. So, so, do you reckon attachment style affects the way you grieve? I'm sure it does. Yeah. 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 I wonder if there's any research done on that. I'm sure there will be. I couldn't quote any of it. I'm not a great research quota because <laughs> it's just not good at it. Uh, uh, but yeah, look it up. Yeah, I will. Mm. Okay, pick another number. Uh, 40. 40. Okay, this is probably a crap question for okay. you now, knowing you. What yeah. makes you most stressed? Does um, anything stress you out anymore? Yeah, definitely. Uh, being hurried, I think, and rushed. So yeah. I've set my life up so that I'm generally not hurried and rushed. Yeah, I can't uh, imagine you rushing I didn't anywhere. really do that on purpose, but it sort of has happened. Um, and um, 
we all have a little set of um, unwritten rules in our head and if people break those rules they do things they shouldn't do um, yeah that will <laughs> probably get me stressed a bit where do you think that comes from um um, certainly comes from parents. I couldn't particularly say where it came from because I don't remember, because yeah. I don't want to. Um, but actually, I think I was always trying to be a good kid. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <clears throat> and when I wasn't, or when I was perceived as not being, uh, yeah, that was no good. So, so this, you know, these triggered states they can sometimes be where you go back to being your child self but they can always they can also be going back to being a version of one of your parents you yeah. know so actually when I get stressed I become parental <laughs> yeah and the person that I'm stressed with is put in the position of the child yeah. actually from experience I can totally see that that yeah. is what you do yeah how funny I'd never uh, realized that before yeah so if you look at something called TA, transaction analysis, parent, adult, child, we all have internal parents and internal child states. Um, and that's quite an, a, quite a, uh, an accessible um, model. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's very cool. Hmm. I have a question for you. What are your thoughts on um, like psychedelic drugs? Because I... We went to Amsterdam, tried some shrooms. I couldn't keep them down, yeah. but I really want the experience because I've heard that it can yeah. really like wake you up, make yeah. you feel things that you hadn't felt before, see the world in a different way. Yeah. Well, obviously, as psychedelics are still um, illegal yeah. in this country, but I have had the experience of going places where I could um, consume them, and the, the only one that I've ever consumed has been ayahuasca. And I've done that uh, in ceremony on uh, a number of occasions. How many times? Uh, probably ten, maybe more. <laughs> that um, is so wild to me. Yeah, and it's been yeah profoundly beneficial. And uh, there's, there is lots of research on that subject. You and, love your research. Yeah, and a number of, I can't quote it, but uh, <laughs> I do love it. And the number of people... Uh, sort of western psychiatrists are pushing really hard to get more research done and they're achieving that uh, using maybe smaller doses of um, um, psychedelics whether it's psilocybin uh, or whether it's synthetic and um, I think there is definitely a future in it particularly for me plant psychedelics uh, I'm biased because that's been my own personal yeah. experience would you try any more um I'm not sure whether I would or not, because uh, for me, it's uh, I would need to have an intention yeah. that I wanted to satisfy. Yeah, you don't just go and just try them for the lols. You, have, you no. normally go with something that's no. pulling you, right? No, I can imagine, you know, if I'd had a different life and if I'd been exposed in teenage time, you know, I might have been doing it for the experience, but... Uh, um, no, it's it's each time you do it now, when I've done I've been there for quite some time, over a year, um, maybe nearly two years. There is a particular intention that you have uh, because it's like doing therapy, but uh, having a little bit of a fast track. That's so cool. Can you tell us of any experiences or like the top mm. ones that you can remember that really changed your life? 
Um, well, I, off one I can remember, which is not during this ceremony, but it was the next day when you share your experiences. And I was sitting with a bunch of people, none of whom I'd ever met before. Right. And, um, yeah, just sobbing away. Really? Uh, yeah. I can't imagine that. Yeah. And so that was very uh, cathartic. I can imagine. Uncomfortable yeah. for you um, being in that setting? A little bit, maybe, but not massively so. Can you remember what you were sobbing about? Um, I'm not even sure that it matters. Right. But I know I can't, but... Uh, and it may not even have been about anything. Right. Because, uh, it was just emotions coming out of you. Yeah. And um, because a lot of this emotions, who knows where they come from, uh, but they may well be programmed right from day one or in the womb or, you know, as you could speculate, past lives. Um, I'm not saying I believe in that, but... Who's to say? Yeah, who is to I've not say? experienced it, but uh, I know plenty of people who have. What is that experience? We don't, I don't think you need to uh, know what that is. But, but anyway, they can come from a time, certainly in this life, before we have conscious thought. So you won't necessarily know what they're about. Wow. Uh, but you just have an emotion. And an emotion is a physical thing in your body. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there are other interesting experiences. I can remember experiencing uh, um, some kind of rat inside me. And uh, my first instinct was to call one of the uh, supervising sort of uh, healers to come and uh, help me get rid of it. Wow. Uh, but then, of course, I realized part of it was me, you know, it, or rather it was part of me. Wow. And so I didn't need to get rid of it at all. And uh, as far as I know, it's still there. You've just got a rat inside you. Yeah, and I maybe think of it as a bit like part of your shadow part. You know, you contain good and bad. Uh, you contain everything. And as long as you see it, it's okay. As if you don't see it or you pretend it's not there, then you'll probably act it out. Wow. Yeah. What an experience. Yeah, it was. very. Uh, and do you find... if? The more that you did it, the lesser the experience, or were they just completely different? Um, a bit intensity? random. It depended, maybe what was going on for me at the time, and uh, you know, people can uh, think whatever they uh, think about this. But uh, the experience and the belief, I think, of most people who exp who participate in ayahuasca ceremonies is that uh, uh, the plant sort of gives you what you need wow you know, so you have the experience that you need and you do set an intention at the beginning of each ceremony about what you want to deal with but exactly uh, how you come to deal with that mm, is sort of um, unknown until you experience it yeah do you think that's how you have dealt with a lot of your past emotions um i think it perhaps gave me a part of a nudge at the start Did it? Yeah, but most of it has been done not with ayahuasca. So, but most of it's been done just since then, as it comes up by uh, processing the emotion as it comes up. At the <coughs> at the beginning of that kind of knowing that you needed to process emotions, mm. was there like an onslaught of it at the beginning? All the stuff that you kind of repressed. 
Um, again, probably typical of me. No, it's just come out at a steady sort of rate over the years. Yeah. Hasn't been dramatic. I have witnessed people in ayahuasca ceremonies having much more uh, uh, dramatic kind of uh, physical experiences uh, than I was having. So, you know, it's not to be entered into lightly or uh, it's not for the faint hearted, I don't think necessarily. But all you're going to face is you. Yeah, and mm. what can be that scary about that? Yeah, that nothing. is a really scary thought for a lot of people. Yeah, but there's nothing that you can't face. Yeah. If you're prepared to exactly. be truthful and honest with yourself. Yeah. yeah. What, um, <clears throat> what's your opinion on people's stories and their kind of identities? Because now, obviously, I'm reading a lot of the Eckhart Tolle stuff. Mm. Um, a lot of it is about letting go of that Mm. story and being the victim of it and living by it. What's your view on that? Yeah. Um, Well, again, in TA, in transaction analysis, uh, they talk about the script that in very young childhood, you sort of uh, compose a life script. And that's at an age like Caleb is at three now. He'll be composing a life script. So obviously he doesn't know he's doing it. Yeah. Uh, But you sort of... uh, your experience is giving you uh, an idea of of who you are uh, as reflected by other people. So you can only know who you are in childhood by the reflection of others. Right. And if other people treat you in a certain way, then you kind of assume, well, that's who I am and that's who I need to be. And you're... you're a script about how life is in general i life is wonderful life is dangerous life is scary life is whatever uh, and how other people are and uh, by the time you're sort of six or seven you've, you've pretty much got your script right. decided and this is the person i am this is who i've learned that i've needed to be in order to get either attention or approval or acceptance or whatever and um if you don't do anything to change it, then that stays forever. Until you kind of wake up and realise you don't have to be yeah. that person. But even then, it's it's difficult. Yeah, it's a programme. To change it. Yeah. yeah. But what were you saying earlier about the like the kind of analogy of toys on the kind of run? You just, they're being programmed each one and then... Yeah, so, um, so little babies are born and you can imagine that they have a key in their back and we wind it up to set them going. And uh, then we stick some programs in the uh, in the hard drive, and um, off they go, programmed um, with their script to be that person, to behave in that way. And so, uh, when people behave uh, badly or as we wouldn't like, um, mostly they have no control over that. And for most of my life, I had no control over that. And uh, that sounds like a fine way of uh, not taking responsibility, not (laughs) taking blame. And I think to a certain extent, you're right that that there is no blame. Um, But once you become aware from that moment on, you do have responsibility. Uh, And that doesn't mean, uh, going back to your earlier question, doesn't mean that uh, uh, you shouldn't apologize. Because it's like uh, if someone got very drunk... And the nicest person in the world got very drunk and killed a child. Um, they didn't intend to kill a child. Uh, 
they should still apologize of course <laughs> yeah. uh, or actually it's a good thing to apologize uh, but actually um to a certain extent uh if you've ever been drunk and driven a car which i have <laughs> only once i think um but you're as guilty as the person who uh, drove a car drunk and killed someone because that's, that's, you didn't choose yeah. to did you the person didn't choose to kill somebody so if you've ever done it, then you're equally guilty, really. Yeah. And then there are some people that do choose to kill people, like we were saying earlier. Yeah. Was, but then even that's just mm. a program thing. Like, I can't Mostly. remember how you... Well, I think if that person's in prison for murdering someone, then that didn't happen randomly. I don't believe that's an evil person. No, I And know, I believe I that if I'd been born in their body and lived their life, I'd be them. Yeah. You know, and I'd do that. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like once you see that and yeah. you can see people for just being the yeah. sum total of who they are, like yeah. we were saying earlier, yeah. it's very hard to judge people or not like yeah. people or get annoyed by them because yeah. you're like, I'd yeah. be exactly the same if I lived in their shoes. I think that's it. So you can't judge people, but you, you can clearly judge their actions as right or wrong or good or bad. Uh, but even that's just a label. It, it just is. is what it is. It is, but actually I think on the whole, whether you've got religion or not, emerging people... It's probably bad. It's probably yeah. bad. Yeah, I think I'm that. not entirely sure though. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we sh- we shouldn't uh, judge people, but of course we do. It's in our makeup, and I sometimes, my mum, bless her, the wonderful woman that she was, was quite judgmental um, in I a very benign way. That, I think she would, uh, you know, she sit there reading her newspaper, reading down through it, saying. Wow, these journalists don't know how to write properly, and uh, people who read the news don't know how to talk properly. Yeah. And uh, you know, there's a steady stream of judgment came out. Yeah. But it wasn't. It was very loving judgment. Yeah. Uh, and I find myself sometimes walking down the street. I see somebody across the other side of the road, and I'm judging them. I think, what am I doing? What's that? But Shut I guess up. that's that's half the battle, though, is catching it, right? Yeah, Because a lot of people are just in that judgment and think that's right, that's the way life is. But yeah, if you can definitely. catch yourself judging people, that's yeah. half the battle. But equally, in whatever way as I am a nice person, and most people, most people actually think I'm a nice person. Um, don't give me any credit for that either, because mostly <laughs> I didn't make myself a nice person. Somebody yeah. else did. Yeah, that's you know? a weird thought, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so um, we didn't choose our programs. Once you become conscious, yeah, you can choose to hopefully be an even nicer person. Yeah. Um, Then that's different. Yeah. I feel really grateful to you and mum, actually. I think I'm very lucky to have you guys as parents anyway. Mm. But when I think about everything that you've taught us, and yeah, like we were saying, it's quite funny earlier, knowing... I don't remember your relationship growing up, really. I only really remember it in the last few years. Um, But it's funny because you have more in common now, or had, should I say, have more in common Mm. now than you ever did before. Um, But because of that, we've all been lucky enough to just very gradually learn all the stuff that you've learned. It's not, I imagine a lot of people don't kind of understand this stuff until later on in life. But I feel like you guys have set us up pretty well to... And I think maybe, um, and this might be partly the internet, maybe, uh, <clears throat> I think your generation, um, 
there is more uh, and it is growing uh, maybe it's polarizing but uh, there is more um, yes yeah. what would you say to anyone listening who has kind of depression anxiety because that's a big thing definitely mm. in our generation these yeah. days how how would you help someone who came to you with those issues uh, I think it's a spiritual um, matter uh, but also a very physical matter um, and again that's another example of the thing well is it spiritual or is it physical and of course it's both so uh, there is a journey to go on which is to find meaning uh, in your suffering right. uh, which is easy to say for someone who's not particularly suffering at the time and you need to be careful as how you say that and when you say that uh, but I do firmly believe and uh, I often um, uh, point people towards a nice uh, e-book which I have which, I think, which is called Darkness Before Dawn uh, it's a series of essays by people who've been depressed and got out of it by finding meaning in their depression. And that's, it's nice. It's a nice resource. Because wow. it gives you two messages. Number one, you're not alone in feeling that way. But number two, that the way out is through. Um, uh, but partly also, depression is a, is a, is a very physical condition. Um, and that may be due to, you know, we're discovering more and more that it's due to the balance of bacteria in your uh, intestines. Wow. Um, uh, the food that you eat, uh, the electricity around you, uh, a whole bunch of stuff really? like that. And if you, if you change those things, if people have enough magnesium in their diet, uh, that can affect their nervous system and make you depressed. So... But the fact that you might be able to trace this depression to um, the microbiome, as we call it nowadays, in your guts, or to magnesium, or a number of these things, doesn't mean to say it hasn't got meaning in it. It just says that that's how that's how it's been sort of uh, created. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. When when did you start going from Western medicine and just giving people antidepressants to realizing it was all this? Well, that was again, as is typical for me, it was accidental. It wasn't intentional. Right. Um, I can remember that clearly because at uh, college and uh, through the first few years of working in hospitals and in uh, general practice, I had no interest in that wacky stuff at all. Yeah, um, I can't imagine. And I would have dismissed it, I'm sure. Uh, but I saw there was some famous, uh, in my world anyway, famous research in The Lancet about the use of uh, hypnosis in uh, irritable bowel syndrome. And I was, always, I was a pragmatist always. I wanted to find things that worked. So I thought I'd sign up to do some hypnosis training, which I did. And I was doing hypnosis for IBS and a few other things. And the more I did the hypnosis, though, the more I thought, well, I need some more knowledge of psychology and psychotherapy. So I did the training in that. And then I got into uh, just, I got into doing some, I hesitate to call it acupuncture, but certainly needling of, uh, 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 we call it Western medical acupuncture, which is often needling at trigger points in muscles. So someone comes in with a pain in the neck 
and instead of giving them a roofing tablet you stick a needle in it and often it will uh, relieve that very quickly um, and then at the same time I was looking at the tablets and I was moving from a position of thank god I don't take that tablet to a position of no way would I take that and no way would I take that or give it to any member of my family and uh, at that point it started to become a bit uh, impossible to do the job then yeah and I, I was lucky enough to be obviously healthy pretty much healthy myself uh, and I thought well is that luck or is it just partly the way I lived my life and um, so it was a, it was a gradual process and then I started one day a week maybe even I started one afternoon a week just right. just doing uh, Plymouth Holistic Doctor just doing holistic medicine psychotherapy shameless plug yeah exactly <laughs> um, and that spread to a day and then I gave up the partnership and just did um, GP locums for a while and then I gave up all, all together and I haven't prescribed a drug for about five years now that is amazing mm. I think it's so cool and do you find lots of lots more success now in your kind of the people that see you well it's it's Yes and no, of course. Okay. You would expect that answer because um, the the number of people I see, of course, is far fewer. So as a GP, I might have been seeing 50 people in a day and now I only see six or seven. Right. So from the point of the view of those numbers, obviously it's far less. Yeah. Um, but as a GP, I very rarely cured anybody. And of course, really? I don't. I don't cure anybody now, but yeah. but people do get cures sometimes. Right. I, whatever their problem was, they start off with, they no longer have it at all, and they're not taking any medication at all. So that's it. Whereas as a GP, you can say, okay, this person had high blood pressure. Now they haven't, uh, but they're taking those three tablets for the rest of their life. So the blood pressure is managed, it hasn't gone away. Yeah, very true. That's the difference. So um, conventional medicine, it's, there's two kinds of problems. There are acute problems like a, an ear infection or a, um, a torn muscle or something, which generally if you don't do anything will get better anyway, but you might be able to speed them up uh, with some conventional medicines. Uh, and then there are chronic problems which you don't cure but you manage, you manage arthritis, you manage uh, diabetes, you manage blood pressure, uh, you manage heart disease, but you never even look really to curing them. Yeah. Uh, and I'm always looking to cure them. Yeah. And I that's where you get onto psychosomatic, is that yeah. what it's called? Yeah. And for people who have no idea what that is, yeah. explain that. Well, it's much misunderstood because if you say that I think this problem is psychosomatic, uh, people translate that immediately into what you're saying it's all in the head. Yeah. And uh, um, that's because they didn't do Latin in school, of course. Because <laughs> yeah. psycho does, I think it means spirit actually, but it refers to the mind. Somatic means the body. So it means, okay, this might have started off uh, in the mind as uh, an emotional disturbance, but it's ended up in physical. So it doesn't matter how physical something is, but you can get heart attacks that are psychosomatic. You can get cancers that are psychosomatic, at least in part, because most things are multifactorial. There are a number of things that uh, play a part. Somebody might be genetically predisposed to something, 
but in most cases they still need an environmental uh, trigger to get it going and that might be a combination of eating a rubbish diet, uh, leaving a, living a sedentary lifestyle, taking in a bunch of poisons and being stressed in some kind of way. So uh, something could be psychosomatic and be hugely physical disease. It's not like an imaginary uh, condition. Yeah. So, yeah, so I'm always looking for the root. Now, looking for the root can mean, uh, going back to the depression we were talking about just now, it could be talking about actually looking for the root in the gut or in the magnesium levels or um, something of that nature. Or it could be looking for the emotional... um, vibration that's uh, set that off in the first place so it's never like it's never always emotion it could be a physical thing purely yeah i too. think i have a sneaky kind of suspicion that there is always emotion at the root of it and that the physical thing is just the way of manifesting it right yeah uh, and uh my kind of the the, the chap i spare, share the building with uh, hamish who is a, a functional medicine practitioner, osteopath, naturopath, and uh, general superman. Um, he has a sneaking suspicion that everything uh, comes from the guts. Really? And I have a sneaking suspicion uh, that everything starts from the mind. <laughs> uh, but we both kind of honour each other's uh, stuff. Yeah. But we uh, probably uh, quietly, secretly think that our stuff's more yeah, important than his. So how would you advise people to get emotions out because it sounds so simple obviously Mm, but people just trap that stuff day in day out yeah so um this is a mindfulness practice so i guess you can start with some simple mindfulness you know get the headspace app get the calm app get the buddhify app uh there's also the waking up app um and uh all these things have their merit. So you start off by being mindful because you need to be mindful as the first step to notice what emotion I'm having or even to notice that I am having one. Uh, I definitely wouldn't have had any awareness that I was having any years ago, none at all. Um, so once you become aware that you're having some, okay, so I think it's best for me, it's, it works best to go off on my own somewhere. And... Um, just sit and perhaps express, name the emotion first of all. Is it anger? Is it frustration? Is it sadness? Um, just a name. If if you can find one, sometimes you've no idea. In which case, don't worry about it. Don't bother even naming it. Because more important than that is then to go into the body. And you can, if you want, you can name what you're feeling in your body. You know, my, my shoulders are tight or my guts are churning or there's a heat in my neck um but even more important than that again is just to feel it and turn the analysis off turn the words off uh, and just tune into the body allow the uh, feeling to be there uh, understand that it's sort of a message from your past um, acknowledge it welcome it in even um and as you do so uh, you can integrate it into your experience and that will have a twofold benefit number one it will nearly always make you feel better at the time 
uh, or a few minutes after. Uh, but also it just takes a little bit off your accumulated baggage so that the next time something comes along, you get a little less reaction. And yeah. as, as the years go by, less and less and less. Yeah. Because it's like you've got this big sack of shit on your shoulder that you've been carrying around all the time and you're gradually emptying it out. And yeah. Yeah, you can walk a bit taller and a bit lighter because yeah. you're not carrying such a load anymore. That makes so much sense. It mm. sounds so simple coming from you, but you know when you go out into yeah. the world and live your normal yeah. life, it feels so much harder than that. So there's a plug for The Presence Process by Michael Brown, or I'll have a look at some Michael Brown on YouTube. Um, uh, I've done The Presence Process probably five or six times. It's just a book. Doing The Process is just a book with a twice-daily uh, meditation. And uh, I'm doing it again at the moment, actually. Awesome. And um, what, for me, other people may find other uh, ways uh, forward. Any, um, some people like to use tapping, you know, uh, EFT. Yeah, I remember mum doing that. Yeah, I did it for a while, but um, I prefer the process that I use now for me. Uh, Some people get great results, both individually for themselves and for uh, their clients and patients uh, with tapping and I great it's a great tool yeah yeah okay one last question go on in. pick a number well as I'm going to be 60 shortly very shortly we'll have 60 it's a good one okay in what ways are you prone to addiction I wish to drink too much yeah uh, that's not an issue for you anymore well, uh, like any, uh, I'm not saying that I was an alcoholic, but uh, uh, any alcoholic would tell you, you only live for today, you know, today I will be sober. So, um, but I've, I have a kind of calm um, feeling that that's done for me. Yeah. Uh, so it's been a couple of years, probably since I was, uh, nearly a couple of years since I was drunk last uh, or since I had more than probably two glasses of wine on any yeah. single occasion. So, um, you know, I still treat it with great respect, uh, alcohol. And uh, so I treat it with some uh, respect now, but I like it. So um, I've, when I have, I don't know, every week, but some Saturdays or I will have two glasses of red wine. And once I've had them, I always make a point of just noticing how that feels and uh, what it f- usually feels like is it feels like a good dose for me yeah because it gives me a little glow and a little smile and that feels like a good dose yeah. so I think if, if you're using any drug why not have the optimum dose so more is not necessarily better yeah yeah I definitely figured that one out time and time yeah. again and yeah it doesn't stop you from going so the other thing is for me for drink drink was a great messenger for me uh, because it brought, it brought me shame and embarrassment and humiliation, really, from uh, finding out what you'd done when you'd been drunk. And uh, it took me all those years to realise that the, the shame and the humiliation, the embarrassment, that was, that was the message. And so once I'd processed that, uh, the messenger, which was the drink, wasn't needed anymore. So I didn't need to get drunk anymore because I got the message. Right. Different for different people, and I also use drunk because of a uh, drink because of social anxiety, of course. Do you uh, have that? 
I did, did yeah. You? I didn't definitely know you suffer with that. Is that when you and Mum were together around that? Yeah, I don't think I ever would have noticed it because in any social situation, we always used to have a drink. Yeah. (laughs) So it was never apparent. Yeah. Because it was always there. But uh, if I did ever have to do public speaking, uh, yeah, I'd be really nervous. I mean, I I always have to have a drink before a gig (laughs) for that exact reason. But then, um, you know, a few years ago, obviously I joined the public speaking club and then... Uh, last year, ironically, you know, I was president of the public speaking club. How ridiculous is that? Yeah, that for is. a socially anxious, quiet person. Yeah, yeah, that is actually quite amazing. Yeah, you're an amazing person. Yeah, thank you. Uh, well, again, if I am, don't give me any credit for that because uh, somebody made me that. It's not my program. I didn't choose it. Oh, what a perfect way to end. Thank mm. you so much for coming on here. Good. And I love you very much. And I, I hope everyone too. enjoyed. And I'll see you in a couple of weeks. Thank you. Wow. My dad, ladies and gentlemen. I absolutely love that chat. I won't lie, I was a bit nervous going into it. I thought, is this the right thing to be doing? But it was just so, so wonderful to hear what he had to say. And I'm sure all of my family that listened found it very insightful. Just so grateful to him for letting me do that and for him to come up to Bristol and do that with me was just so special. So thanks, Dad, if you're listening. I love you very much. And if you guys would like to hear more about my dad or anything that he has to say, you can go to PlymouthHolisticDoctor.co.uk. And other than that, just really want to encourage you to open up to your family if you want to, or just open up to the people around you more because the conversations that you have and the bonds that can deepen because of conversations like this are just amazing. And if any of the questions asked today resonated with you in any way, then feel free to let me know on Instagram at WeDiveDeeper, or you can follow my personal page, which is just at Kate McGill. And last but not least, you can get these episodes earlier by supporting me on patreon.com slash Kate McGill. So thanks again, Dad. And thanks to everyone that's listened and enjoyed. Let me know if you enjoyed this one. And don't forget to share with your friends if you did, because it really helps. Okay, have an awesome couple of weeks, guys. Bye.